Welcome to the Good Fiction Podcast. Join us as we continue with Darkest Darker Dark, Episode 18. Everything since his mother had rapped on the door that Sunday morning had seemed a bit strange. Formal was the word that could best describe it. There was to be a family meeting to start sharply at 8 p.m. in a family that rarely observed anything resembling formality, let alone a family meeting, as it was being called. Nathan's first order of business was to get to Debbie and explain to her what he had told his father the previous night. He didn't want her finding out from his parents that he had told them about what had happened with Marshall. She would never forgive him for that. She may not forgive him anyway, but at least if he could tell her what he had done first, then she would not be blasted by it and find out in front of his parents. He found her sitting in front of the bureau in her room, brushing her hair. She had showered in that familiar smell of her shampoo had filled the room. Her blinds were open, revealing a blue-skied spring morning. The limbs of the trees in the front yard danced gently in front of the second-story window, their long branches now filling with lush green. So what's it going to be this morning, this family meeting, she asked. Your guess is as good as mine, said Nathan. I don't know what they're up to, really. You and your parents have a nice talk last night, she asked. She set the brush down and turned to face him. Debbie, I had to tell them. I figured you did, she said. I'm sorry. It's okay, Nathan. I don't know why we didn't. Well, I didn't want to say anything to begin with. I think my dad called the police, said Nathan. Debbie sat frozen for a few moments. He called that same guy that came out here. Must have given him a card or something. Anyway, they already know. They don't know anything until they talk to me, said Debbie sternly. Guess you're right, said Nathan. Debbie, Nathan, Mrs. Calhoun was calling them from the upstairs hallway. We're coming, Mom, answered Nathan. He looked toward Debbie with a glance that would not dare catch her eyes. He was ashamed and embarrassed at his betrayal of her wishes. Even though she told him it was okay, somehow he felt he had let her down in a way that had damaged their relationship. She lied to him. He let her down. Then there was this issue facing them like an 18-wheeler coming at them at 200 miles per hour. The baby. These were his thoughts as he followed her down the stairs that morning. Nathan hadn't shot up in two, maybe three days. He wasn't certain about the last time. He had gone long enough to make himself sick, though. Nausea was hitting him in waves about every 30 minutes. He couldn't seem to stop the beads of sweat that kept accumulating around the hairline on his forehead. No food had touched his lips for about 48 hours. The fact that Debbie had said nothing about how he was obviously hurting from withdrawal 
hurting just as much as the withdrawal itself. They found Mr. Calhoun standing in the living room with his hands clasped in front of his waist. Mrs. Calhoun was sitting dutifully on the couch like a member of the congregation getting ready to amen whatever the preacher was going to say. Mr. Calhoun raised his eyebrows as the two entered the room. There was no smile. Debbie took a seat on the far end of the couch. Mrs. Calhoun had already claimed the other end. Nathan chose an easy chair that faced the TV. Mr. Calhoun sighed, then began. Well, I guess we all know why we're here today. Not really, snapped Debbie. She surprised herself with her defensiveness. Mr. Calhoun gave her a fake smile and continued. Well, let me spell it out for you, Debbie. His jaw was set in anger. His voice rose on each word. Now, honey, please, Mrs. Calhoun was obviously going to play the role of peacekeeper. We agreed this discussion would be calm, she said. Mr. Calhoun looked at his wife's intervention with a sort of, yes, okay, you're right kind of thing, and continued. You're pregnant. You're also smoking reefer. He couldn't help it, but the word reefer made her laugh. Her giggle was enough to stop Mr. Calhoun dead in his tracks. What's so funny about drugs, Debbie? He continued. You mean reefer? She looked over at Nathan. He wasn't laughing. Makes you think that, asked Debbie. I've smelled it around here quite a bit. On clothes? Oh, just hints of it here and there. Debbie looked back at Nathan, then back at Mr. Calhoun. Well, what makes you think it's me? She asked. I think it's probably both of you, he replied. Boy, did he get that one wrong, she thought. Is that what this meeting is about, asked Debbie? The fact that I'm pregnant and smoking weed? Well, as if that wasn't enough, there's all this stuff with this teacher, said Mr. Calhoun. Debbie, we know he's the one who was hitting you. Nathan told his father last night, Mrs. Calhoun added. Is this true? asked Mr. Calhoun. Nathan wouldn't lie to you about something like that, she said. But you did, he shot back. Why did you do that? I don't know. Maybe I was just refusing to face the facts or something. I really don't know. Well, the facts are that this teacher is in a lot of trouble. I've already called the officer that was here the other night. He's going to come talk to you, and when you tell him the truth... He's most likely going to have that, that teacher arrested. Mr. Calhoun began rubbing his temples. This is going to be a huge mess, he said with a sigh. Debbie, asked Mrs. Calhoun gently, in an obvious effort to be as calm as possible, why didn't you tell us about this teacher? He's, well, he's obviously ill. I mean, did you not see that? Look. What's done is done, interrupted Mr. Calhoun. What we need to do now is make some decisions. Debbie was puzzled. What sort of decisions, she asked. Nathan perked up too. 
Whatever was about to come, they hadn't told him what it was. Debbie, we feel like it would be best if we worked out some other living arrangement, Mr. Calhoun blurted out. The words were rapid and stern. The comment cut both Debbie and Nathan like a hot knife going through warm butter. Even though it had been threatened, neither thought it would really do it. He did, though. You're kicking me out? She asked. Well, those are harsh words, Debbie. Then what is it, Dad? Nathan chimed in. His voice was angry. Mr. Calhoun ignored his son. Debbie, you need to realize that we have Nathan to consider. She came close to explaining to him that her precious son was a major heroin addict, but that would only make the situation worse. She's not going anywhere, Dad, said Nathan. Now, Nathan, you just need to calm down and listen to what your father has to say, please. The peacekeeper, Mrs. Calhoun, was back to her job. You're not going anywhere, Debbie, said Nathan. You're staying here with us. No, I'm afraid she's not, son, said Mr. Calhoun. The slightest degree of emotion could have been detected in his voice. It was for his son, though, not for Debbie. What happened next was a volley of argumentative comments. Everyone was talking over everyone else. The peacekeeper's efforts had failed. Finally, Debbie stood and declared that she had had enough. Nathan followed her as she jogged up the stairs into her room. She began pulling clothes from hangers and drawers. It was obvious that this was for real. She wasn't playing. She finally stopped long enough to talk to Nathan. I've got to get out of here, Nathan. It's time to go. Really? Come on, Debbie, where? He was leaning against the wall, angry and sad, were hitting him all at the same time. He was angry at his parents. The sad came from knowing that Debbie wasn't going to stay there. Come with me, she said, as she continued to gather up a collection of everything. Where, he pleaded. Debbie stopped gathering clothes and located her purse. She sat down on the bed and began to frantically dig through it. She finally emerged with what looked like a credit card and a smile. I've got this. It doesn't matter. We can go anywhere you want. Nathan could see it was a MasterCard. None of my money has been invested or anything. Nathan is just sitting there in a bank account. Can you do that? I mean, it's my money. Of course I can. Before they could go any further with their plans, there was the sound of a car pulling up in the driveway. Nathan went to the window. He's here, he said. That cop, she asked. Yep. Okay, look, I'm going to go down and talk to this guy and make his day by telling him about what happened. I'm out of here. Are you coming or not? Nathan looked at Debbie intently. He looked deep into her eyes. They sparkled with beauty, but were intense with seriousness. 
Of course I will, Debbie, he said. Not really sure of himself, but he said it anyway. Good. She smiled brightly at him. Now look for something to put all my stuff in while I'm downstairs. You'll need to get some things together too. Don't worry about taking much. Remember, she held up her credit card. Checking herself in the mirror, she then scampered off down the hall and to the end of the stairs where she could be heard. About the same time, there was a loud knock on the front door followed by the ringing of the doorbell. He did as he was told as voices mumbled below. Two suitcases were in the back of his closet and used one of them to cram Debbie's stuff into and one for a few shirts, three pairs of jeans, underwear, some things like toothpaste and his hair gel. Nathan stopped packing long enough to watch the police officer from his second story window. The cop scurried off to his car and departed quickly. He assumed he was off to arrest Marshall. Debbie startled him as she entered the room. Done? she asked. Yep. Good. Put the suitcases under your bed. We don't want to tip your parents off. What did you tell the cop? asked Nathan. The truth. Told him that I thought you saw us, but I wasn't sure. He said he would eventually be back to question you about what happened. Great, said Nathan sarcastically. Don't worry, we'll be long gone by then, responded Debbie. Her mom and dad, asked Nathan. He wanted to make sure it was safe to go deeper into Debbie's plan. She obviously didn't have one. They're still downstairs talking. She lowered her voice. Here's what we'll do. As soon as we're sure everyone's asleep, we'll sneak out and walk down to the gas station and get a cab. To where? asked Nathan. The airport, said Debbie. Okay, then? I'll tell you what, Nathan. You pick. Don't you have to be a certain age to buy plane tickets? asked Nathan. Nope. You sure? Yep. Now look, don't bring any dope. It's too risky. If you want to get high, do it before we leave, okay? Yeah, okay. Nathan shook his head, yes. When you're sure they're asleep, come and get me, okay? Okay, said Nathan. He smiled at her. Debbie disappeared quickly and was to finish getting herself ready or maybe even try to get a little sleep. Nathan wasn't really sure. She didn't say, and he didn't ask. He was hungry to shoot up. He needed to badly. He got his dope together, tied off his arm, and within minutes was floating. He sat on the floor by the door to his room. He leaned his head back against the wall. The house was quiet. Then there was the distinctive murmur of what had to have been voices. It could only be his mother and father. The voices became clearer as they came up the stairs. Then he could hear the pipes run as they ran water in their bedroom. Mom had pills she took at night. Blood pressure pills, he thought. The sound of water coming from the pipes happened the same time every night for years. The silence of their house was broken by the sound of their family ritual. He continued to float deeper into his heron-induced high. He tried to picture his mother's reaction when she realized he was gone. She'd be hurt. 
So would Dad, but not as much as she was going to be. Part of Nathan wanted to go. He loved the thought of being with Debbie out on their own with all that money. But there was another part of him that was scared. It was like a voice was telling him that what he was about to do was wrong. Then there was the whole issue of the baby. It all just seemed to be too much, too much to even think about, too much to deal with. He felt his eyes getting heavy and shut them tightly. He tried to imagine what it would be like to be a father. He couldn't, though. All he could see when he shut his eyes was deep, pitch-black darkness. Deep, deep darkness. Thank you for listening. Join us next time as we continue with Darkest Darker Dark. I'm Rodney Mathers. Goodbye for now.